the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Saturdays, America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. Uh, I want to chat a little bit more about culture, if that's okay. I know we've been spending a lot of time on it. We did a lot last week as well. But I really think that once once this makes sense, then, at least for me, everything I I see starts to fall in line a, a little bit better. I want to quote here from Ravi Zacharias. Someone sent me this on Twitter the other day and said, Slater, this is exactly what you're talking about. So I had to click and uh, the person was right. So Ravi Zacharias here was talking about a, a sermon. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. An article that someone wrote in psychology today back in 1981. And this person said culture is the effort to provide a coherent set of answers to the existential questions that confront all human beings in the passage of their lives. Culture is the effort to provide a coherent set of answers to the existential situations that confront all human beings in the passage of their lives. Okay. So Ravi Zacharias is up there. He's talking and he, and he quotes that. So he's given a, a speech to some college and someone goes up to the microphone and says, who told you culture is a search for coherence? Who told you that? Where do you get that idea from? This idea of coherence is a Western idea. Real quick timeout. I should have given a better intro to this. This is all in reaction to President Trump's speech about a week and a half ago in Poland where he talked about Western civilization. And the left freaked out. Oh my gosh, how dare you talk about Western civilization, blah, blah, blah. And that's because so many people for generations now have been taught that Western civilization is white Christian and therefore bad, bigoted, Islamophobic, homophobic, etc. So all things Western are bad. So here's Ravi Zacharias talking about how culture is the effort to provide a coherent set of answers. This woman gets up there and says, coherence is a Western idea. <laughs> so let me quote from Ravi. He says, I replied by reminding her that all I had done in this instance was to present a sociologist definition that cult- culture sought coherence. She says, ah, words, just words. So he responded, well, let me ask you this then. Do you want my answer to be coherent? Some laughter rippled through the auditorium. She herself was stymied for a few moments. But that's language, isn't it? She retorted. I asked her if language did not have anything to do with reality. Must words not point to a referent? If you're seeking an answer that must be coherent, but culture itself does not have to be, how can that be? You could sense the turmoil within that person's life. And indeed, later on, I was told that this individual was a rather outspoken person whose lifestyle was radically aberrant uh, from the normal. Her whole struggle for coherence was rooted in her own very physiological dissonance. So let me, let's break this down. Here's a girl, student, gets up and says coherence is a Western idea. So coherence, dictionary definition, it's the quality of being logical and consistent and the quality of forming a unified whole. That's coherence. And she says that that's a Western idea and therefore bad. 
But here's the thing. No postmodernist, no progressive can live up to their own standards because while she doesn't believe in coherence, she demands from Ravi Zacharias a coherent answer, right? She asks a question, demands coherence, yet says there's no such thing as coherence. This is the problem too with postmodernists who say there's no such thing as truth, yet they believe that that is true. Right? They'll say there's no such thing as truth. Oh, other than that, other than that. No, you can't have that both ways. Their entire argument falls on its face instantly. Same thing with this woman. It's revealed straight from the jump. Oh, you don't believe in coherence. Okay, do you want me to respond to you coherently? You don't believe in truth? Okay, is that true? Also, did you hear her talk about language? Oh, language, just language. There, there's two attacks on truth, two, two most prevalent that we're seeing today in American society. First, gender. There's no more foundational truth than man and woman. So if we can eliminate the concept of gender, I mean, that's the ultimate truth, or one of the ultimate truths, and um, nothing else can stand once you tear down the concept of man and woman. Uh, another truth that is being attacked is language. This is as obvious of an example as I could possibly come up with. And it was this week this happened. This is the University of Washington uh, at Tacoma, their writing center. So the, the head of the writing center is telling students that, excuse me, telling students who use proper grammar that they are perpetuating racism through, quote, unjust social structures. Now, I just want to be clear here. We have different levels here. So one level, I think the ultimate level is everyone should use proper grammar. Below that is everyone should use proper grammar, but if you don't, you can't force them to because if you force them to, then you're forcing unjust social structures and you're a racist, blah, blah, blah. That's bad. What's worse is an attack on people who do use proper grammar. This is no one should use proper grammar, and if you use it, you're racist. Do you see the difference between those two things? One is, oh, don't criticize people who don't use proper grammar. That's not appropriate. That's racist if you criticize someone who doesn't use proper grammar. Now it's, now you got those people criticizing those who do use proper grammar. Like, <laughs> what? At the writing center, at a university. The university, the, uh, the writing center person says racism is the normal condition of things. Racism is pervasive. It is in the system, structures, rules, languages, expectations, expectations, and guidelines that make up our classes, school, and society. Blah blah. For example, linguistic and writing research has shown clearly for many decades that there is no inherent standard of English. Language is constantly changing. These two facts make it very difficult to justify placing people in hierarchies or restricting opportunities and privileges because of the way people communicate in particular versions of English. <laughs> particular versions of English. Do you see how stupid this is? This is more than, you know, that person has a Southern accent. This is people who don't use proper grammar. This is amazing. First, the left wants us to be equally poor. Now they want us all to be equally dumb. This means, logically, using her logic, I could go to the writing center at a university and write a paper not just inc incorrectly, 
or poorly, but gibberish. And if anyone dare question it, they're being racist. They're imposing on me an unjust social, social structure that says I have to write a certain way. And if, if I don't write that way, this person says that that shouldn't hold me back. That like you shouldn't put people in hierarchies and restrict opportunities based off of someone's ability to communicate properly. <laughs> and if someone does communicate properly, they're being racist. Live in that world and no one can communicate with anyone. Which is why deep down these progressives, they don't want dialogue or debate. They don't want it. So destroying language is the perfect way to make that happen. Destroy the ability to, for people to communicate with each other and then there will be no more communication. That's what this is about. And gender again, an obvious example. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I saw a video the other day of uh, a man playing on the women's volleyball team at UC Santa Cruz and this guy's trying out for the Olympics for women's volleyball. This is insane. But in a post-truth world, gender doesn't exist either. Gender and language don't exist. So anyway, back to coherence. Back to center. Back to culture. Culture is the center which holds everything else together. I'm not saying we all need to be drones and clones of each other, but there has to be a center to a society and to a family. Language is a good center. That's important. That's a good thing to have in your center is is a common language. Traditional gender roles is a good center. The concept of gender is a good center to have. I can't express enough how everything is downstream of culture. Andrew Breitbart used to say that politics is downstream of culture, and I never quite understood that. But it's becoming more and more clear, and he's 100% right. If you want to change politics, you can't do that until you change culture first. Culture is everything. Everything is downstream of culture. One last thing. Mm, Let me take a break. I'll come back with this. But that's what you're up against. (laughs) Someone says, oh yeah, culture is the effort to provide a coherent set of values. Up, coherence is a Western ideal and it's racist. Coherence. So what's the answer to coherence? Chaos. That's what they want. one 888 Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I want to uh, share the story here from uh, Bart, the subway in San Francisco. So there's been a string of robberies in the subway there with a big group of teenagers, right? So you got a giant mob, 50 kids, and they run into a subway car or down into a station and they rob a bunch of people, beat them up, beat a couple up, and then uh, run away with whatever they can. It's like flash mob, but less dancing. 
Uh, it's all on video, but Bart has refused to release the surveillance video of any of these robberies. Why? This is what Bart wrote back. This is the official response. I want to be clear. This is not my analysis or guess of what they're, why they're not releasing it. This is what they said. Quote, to release these videos would create a high level of racially insensitive commentary. And in addition, it would create a racial bias in the writers against minorities on the train. Releasing the video would unfairly affect and characterize riders of color, leading to sweeping generalizations in media reports. Isn't that amazing? So they're not going to release the videos because, I mean, everyone knows who these teenagers are, right? The Amish. Stupid Amish. At it again. I hate the Amish. Their horses and buggies and wood stoves and cheese curds going on robbing people in the subway in San Francisco. Unbelievable. Someone's finally got to crack down on these Amish. Oh, it's not. Not the Amish. I'm being told it's not the Amish. Sorry, I jumped to conclusions there. So let's look at what this really does. Well, let's look at what not releasing the videos does. So I want to be clear, they're not releasing these videos because they're black teenagers and they don't want to uh, increase racial insensitivity towards black people. Now, so they think they're helping people. They're helping black people by not releasing them. So we've talked before on the show many times, there's no such thing as race. It's all about culture. It's all culture. No one of any race or any skin color is more or less likely to commit a crime because of their skin color. That's absurd. There's nothing about skin color that makes anyone more prone to criminal behavior. But if Bart sends the message, as they are doing, that if you are of a certain skin color and commit crimes, then the footage won't be released, then people of a certain skin color will be more likely to commit these crimes. Let me say this again. There's nothing about skin color that will make you more or less likely to commit a crime. But if Bart says, hey, if your skin color is black, we're not going to release footage of you committing crimes. If they do that, then people of that skin color will be more likely to commit crimes because they'll know it's less likely they're going to be caught. So in Bart's effort to be racially sensitive, they've actually made it more likely that black teenagers will rob subways because black teenagers know that the videos of them won't be released precisely because they're black. And then people, because we're not idiots, will actually be more wary of certain types of people on the train. Bart has incentivized black teenagers to commit crimes. In the name of protecting them, they've hurt them. Now, white teenagers, let's say white teenagers wanted to do one of these mob crimes, whatever they're calling them. They'll get together and they'll say, well, if we do it, the video of it's going to be released. It's more likely my mom or uncle is going to see me on the news and I'm going to get caught. Black teenagers get together and say, hey, we're going to go rob a bunch of people on the subway. They know it's less likely that they're going to be caught. 
which means black teenagers will end up committing more crimes because of this. Isn't that amazing? I, I really just want to prove, so they're making it worse. That's my point. Bart, in an effort to help people, uh, black people uh, is making uh, life worse for black people. And just to prove again that this is not about race. Remember our discussion last week about where Southern colonists came from? Southern colonists came from the rough and tumble areas of Northern England, Scotland, and Ulster County, Ireland. They brought with them, right? These colonists brought with them that culture to the South. Markedly different culture from the people of Haverhill and East Anglia, Southern England. Those people settled in Boston. So these Ulster County folk who then moved to the South, they were white. Northern folk looked at these Southerners and said, they're terrible because they have a, in the words of Thomas Sowell, well, not in the words of Thomas Sowell, in the research of Thomas Sowell, these people, these white Southerners have a aversion to work, proneness to violence, neglect of education, sexual promiscuity, improvidence, so they don't think about the future, drunkenness, lack of entrepreneurship, reckless searches for excitement, and lively music and dance. That was the culture of Southern whites. That culture was then taken over by Southern blacks. And then in a great migration from the South to the North among black people uh, has been embraced by black people, particularly ghetto culture throughout the entire country. There's nothing black about this culture. There's nothing black about it at all. But in this particular case, there's two aspects of this culture. And this is my big point. It's not about race. I know every time I talk about this, there's someone who's like, oh, Slater, you're being racist. No, that's my point. It has nothing to do with race. Nothing, 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 nothing. It's entirely culture. It's the opposite. If there is an opposite of race, that is culture. It has zero to do with race. I can't be racist because it has nothing to do with race at all. It is culture. And in this case, there's two aspects of it. Proneness to violence which was a culture of people in the Scottish Badlands, which was a culture of white people in the South, which is now the culture of many ghetto black people across the country. A proneness to violence and improvidence. That's lacking foresight. I also throw in there reckless searches for excitement, which is what these mob attacks are, right? These people, these kids are not doing it for money. It's just a risky, high, fun mob thing to do. So Bart, by not releasing these videos because these kids are black, they're making it, this, this behavior more ingrained in the culture of this group of kids. Isn't that amazing? This is another example of what happens when there's no such thing as right and wrong. If the higher priority was on what's right and what's wrong, then they would release these tapes and the people who do this would be punished accordingly. But the higher priority is on social justice and tolerance and other such nonsense, which always, always, always ends up hurting the very people that they say it's trying to help. Every time social justice is put to the forefront of a reason why I'm doing something or the government's doing something, it always ends up hurting the very people that they say they're trying to help. When will we ever stink and learn? 1-888-933-93. You know what I want to talk about next? The great Mark Devine. Do you know him? Tell you about next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Hello, Slater Crusaders. I'll talk about Mark Devine coming up in the next segment. I want to uh, chat about this first. So I found this parenting blog. Uh, it's it's a, a therapist who has it. Someone sent it to me, and they said it, it's everything we talk about on the show. And I've been checking it out, and and everything I've read's been been spot on. She's a tough love, tough love person, kind of like uh, like a Dr. Laura type. And let me just before I get into a specific thing, I want to share her big sort of mission statement. She says kids need emotionally available parents. And instead, they're getting digitally distracted parents. She says kids need clearly defined limits and guidance. Instead, they're getting indulgent parents who let kids rule the world. She says kids need responsibilities. Instead, they're getting a sense of entitlement. She said kids need balanced nutrition and adequate sleep. And instead, they're getting unbalanced nutrition and inadequate sleep. She says kids need movement and outdoors. And instead, they're getting sedentary indoor lifestyles. She said kids need creative play. Instead, they're getting endless stimulation. She says they need social interaction and opportunities for unstructured times and boredom. Instead, they're getting technological babysitters, instant gratification, and absence of dull moments. So I think that's 100% right. Let me run through it again. I think kids are getting digitally distracted parents. and uh, They're getting uh, parents who let them rule the world. A sense of entitlement. Inadequate sleep, terrible food, sedentary indoor lifestyle, endless stimulation, technology babysitters, instant gratification, and no dull moments. And that's the one I actually want to talk about here. That's what kids are getting, and they need the opposite of all those things. And I think a lot of the problems we're seeing in society today, a lot of problems we're seeing in school today, come from this. So that woman wrote a blog post, and I've seen a couple other similar analyses of this, about the fidget spinners. Have you seen these things? These fidget spinners? I saw one for the first time a couple weeks back. And then they just exploded. And I I got to hold my first one last week. And if you've never seen these things, it's just a little, it's just a thing you spin. It's it's on ball bearings. You just, and it goes, it just spins for a while. That's literally, it's nothing. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not doing the old grandpa, oh, these things are the devil's toy. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's not it I have a problem with. It's nothing. It's a piece of plastic. It's, It's nothing. The problem is what's underlying it. The the problem is what's creating the need for it. Fidget spinners aren't the problem. They reveal a bigger problem. Now, I'm going to get an email from someone who's like, oh, but for my child, they actually really help. Okay, fine. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that every single kid in every single classroom across the country has this thing. The idea is that these spinners are good for kids with ADHD, which every kid has now, and I'll talk about why in a second. But the idea is because kids can't focus because they're, they're ADHD, they can't focus. So we give them these spinners, which help them focus. And I heard that and I said, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, of course they help kids focus, but they don't help kids focus on the right thing. <laughs> like, I don't know, the teacher. Maybe it helps them focus on the fidget spinner for 30 seconds. That's not what they should be focusing on anyway. So they're supposed to be focusing on the teacher. Instead, they're looking outside. So you give them a fidget spinner. Well, now they're not looking outside, but they're still not looking at the teacher or the book or the homework or whatever. 
the problem is not that kids can't pay attention. It's the, the problem is that kids don't pay attention to what they should be paying attention to. This is so important. It's amazing. And I, I know there's someone who's going to be listening now who's like, no, my child really does have it. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the fact that everyone has ADHD. Most kids, they can pay attention. Most kids who are diagnosed with ADHD, I guarantee you they have no problem paying attention for hours and hours and hours to video games. I guarantee you take most kids with ADHD, you put them in front of a video game and they can play all night long. No attention deficit problem there. It's the boring things that they don't want to pay attention to. That is a lack of self-control. It's not ADHD. It's a lack of self-control. Let me quote from a uh, high school teacher. If a mind craves physical distraction in order to learn, such craving needs to be crushed, not coddled. Because if coddled, it will only expand. Deeply gratified appetites do not remain the same size. And creating toys merely for young men to fidget with, as though the bazillion other things they have to fidget with are not enough, sends a ridiculous message to them about indulgence and accommodation. We live in a world of instant gratification. No one can deny that. And it is a drug. I, I, I'm telling you, it's not like a drug. It is a drug. The, it, it works in our brain. It's very similar to drugs. The more gratification we give, the more or we get, excuse me, the more gratification we get, the more we crave it. And we have rewired our kids' brains with technology using iPads and video games to distract them. And when we do that nonstop, they're just constantly, constantly, constantly wired, wired, wired. And then we drop them off at school. We make it so they are unable to learn, unable to learn because their brains can't function under low levels of stimulation because they're on crack. Kids expect special effects all the time, nonstop. We know this is true. You know this is true. The other day, my wife and I were flicking through the channels and we came across um, the Lone Ranger, the original Lone Ranger. And it was right in the beginning. And, and, and the Lone Ranger is on his horse. And he's, it's the intro. And he's riding on the horse. And then the horse bucks up. And it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It was slow and awkward. And the horse didn't even do it right. He didn't even like buck right. He kind of like fell back. And it was just it's like, what the heck is this? The whole thing, and if you watch these old TV shows, they are just so slow. Now, watch an old Looney, and I love them. Don't get me wrong, I love them, but they're slow. You watch an old Looney Tunes cartoon, Bugs Bunny, versus something today? Today, it is an explosion of lights and color, and it is fast, and it is a giant seizure. It's a nonstop seizure. You take a kid, you put him in front of this nonstop seizure of a cartoon show today for 20 minutes, and then you show him a you know, 30-year-old Bugs Bunny cartoon, and it's like you just stuffed him with a gallons of ice cream, and now you feed him kale. Not a huge interest in the kale after you just hyped him up on ice cream. We know this is true. Compared to fake screen life, real life is boring. So we constantly put kids in, in fake life, fake life, fake life, fake life. We give them... Stimulation, 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 stimulation. And then we put them in real life, a classroom, for instance, and their brains can't tolerate it. They're truly like a crack addict. And even a second of minor boredom, an instant of boredom, and they can't take it. 
they freak out because they're on crack. So then we give them a fidget spinner to help them concentrate. No, you've just given them more crack. Maybe it's not crack. Maybe maybe it's, you know, uh, some other, <laughs> what's like a lighter drug? Like your ecstasy. I mean, I don't right. It's not as crazy, but it's but it's something else. It's not what they need. They need to be not so overstimulated all the time. Kids don't need more things to distract them. They need the skill set of concentration. If a kid needs to fidget constantly all the time, it doesn't mean that they need more stimulation. It usually means the brain is overstimulated in the first place and needs calming down. I'll give you an example of this. Just the other day, one of my best friends, uh, his middle son, mm, how old is he? Um, Nine? Eight or nine? Something like that? So shy, debilitatingly shy. Like they'll go over to a friend's house. Everyone else goes in. Dad and the middle son have to wait outside for 30 minutes, getting up confidence to go inside. Then he peeks in and runs back out for 10 minutes and then comes inside and someone says hi and he runs back outside like debilitatingly shy. As of last week, no longer shy at all. Zero shyness. What happened? The week before, or a couple weeks before, the two boys in the family, without the parents, but the two boys, went to the grandparents' house, which uh, is a farm in Idaho. And they spent a week doing boy stuff on a farm in Idaho, running around, getting lost. Fishing, riding horses, doing boy stuff, getting dirty for a week. Came back, changed boy. Completely changed person. Used to need a nightlight. Now no longer needs a nightlight. Why? He slowed down. And you're thinking, oh, but kids are active. Then yeah, yeah. There's a difference between being active and being overstimulated. The kid just needed to unplug. His brain needed, his brain was just, his brain was like one of the fidget spinners, just nonstop. Went to the farm in Idaho for a week, came back, totally different person. And you know what my buddy said? He learned to be with himself. He learned how to work through boredom and deal with it because that's what life is. There's a lot of dull moments. Life is not one giant seizure-inducing cartoon. There will not always be adults and people around you to entertain you or a screen to get your fix from. Kids don't need more stimulating quick fixes. So again, I want to be clear. A fidget spinner, like this whole segment is not about fidget spinners. It's about everything we're doing to kids that make kids need them in the first place. Need them. So what do we do? I want to end on a solution before I get to uh, Mark Devine next. The advice from this therapist is to slowly, gradually increase the time between I want and I get. All right, your kid wants something and they get it. They want it and they get it. They want it and they get it. We need to increase the time between I want and I get. We live in such a stimulating world, a highly stimulating world. 
lengthening the delayed gratification time over, over a period of time and introducing some calm to our kids, getting them to slow down, unplug, get outside, breathe some fresh air, have a uh, bonfire, whatever it takes to slow down. Adults need it and kids need it too. 1-888-933-93, Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, long story short, I won't be able to do this uh, any justice that it deserves, but Mark Devine, owner of Seal Fit, 20 year Navy SEAL, gave an uh, awesome store, uh, speech the other day I went to. They, he has this, uh, among other things, this uh, 50 hour crucible, they call it. Uh, it's modeled after the Navy SEALs Hell Week. And it's 50 hours, no sleep, straight through. And the goal is, and this is what happens every time, someone comes in with their identity, whatever it is. And by the end of the 50 hours, that poser identity is completely destroyed. And you realize that all these identities that you put out into the world that are fake, are, first of all, they're exhausting, and you realize they're meaningless. And they say that by the end of the 50 hours, you get to meet yourself for the first time. You meet your true self. So again, I can't do this justice, but uh, read Mark Devine's books, and uh, they're great. He says, six hours in, people meet their first mountain. It's the physical mountain. 18 hours in, their mind starts to fray and they realize they can't even rely on their mind. That's your uh, mental mountain. Then 30 hours in, you, are, you hit your emotional mountain. You break and you realize you can't do anything on your own. And for a lot of people, it's the first time in their life when they, they have to 100% rely on someone else. The fourth stage, about 40 hours in, that's when you reach your flow. And then the fifth hour in, or excuse me, the, the fifth stage at 50 hours, that's the spiritual mountain. This is the end. He says, this is when everything's broken and the true you is revealed. But more important than anything, that's where you connect to God. That's when you hit your spiritual awakening because you've taken off all of your masks that you wear every day and that you've created over your life and you can be your true self and you must be because there's no other way to make it through this 50 hour crucible. He tells a story of his best friend in Bud's training for the SEALs, Bush. He's a big hot shot, gung-ho, wanted more than anything to be a Navy SEAL, right? Navy SEAL, it's baller. It's the best thing. It's where you get the girls. So they're going through training, and one day the guys tell him to go run into the water, get all wet and sandy again. Mark starts running, and he realizes that Bush, his buddy, is running the other way. So he turns around and runs. To, oh, by the way, Bush is running towards the bell. It's the bell you ring when you want to quit. So Mark starts running back to tackle him, to stop him and try to convince him not to quit when one of the SEAL trainers jumps in front of him and tackles Mark and says, this isn't your decision, man. A few weeks go by and Mark runs into Bush and he says, man, what happened? Why'd you quit? And the guy said, in that moment, I couldn't remember why I was there. He forgot his why. And the guy said, I couldn't remember why I was there, but I realized that I've always wanted to be a veterinarian. (laughs) 
And it's about the importance of clarity and having a strong why. And if you're doing something to know why, because that way, no matter how big the hurdle is in front of it, you'll never quit. If the hurdle is bigger than the why, you'll quit. If the why is bigger than the hurdle, you'll never quit. And if your why is pure and true and righteous, you can't be stopped. That's a guarantee. My name's Mark Devine. Check out the book. It's good. I got a book too. You can check it out on our Facebook page, Mike Slater Show. Have a great weekend. See you next week. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.